Now, I don't know about you, but when I was a little boy, my friends and I, my brothers and I, my sisters not so much, but my brothers and I, we had this phrase that most of you, I think, or many of you at least are going to know about, called cry uncle. If you just say uncle, that meant you don't want to get hurt anymore. You're wrestling, they got you in a hold, it's starting to hurt, can't take it anymore, you give up, you surrender, you cry uncle. The Scottish people, now listen to this, it's kind of fun, this is what I learned this week, one of the many things. The Scottish people, at one time, instead of cry uncle, it was cry barley. In the 14th century, it was draw in one's horns, that was the phrase meaning surrender, give up, yield. Then came the phrase knuckle under, meaning the same, to submit. That one is linked to the knuckle knee joint, alluding to bending at the knee or bowing down in surrender. Then came the phrase knock under the table, which one time was a sign of defeat in a card game. You would knock under the table. That meant you're folding your hand, you're giving it in, you're giving up. In ancient Rome, by the way, it was called pass under the yoke, where vanquished enemies were forced to pass under three an arch made out of three spears. More familiar to us is raise the white flag, called the flag of truce. In ship battles, it was called striking the sail, meaning to lower your sail and surrender. Now in cards, you throw in your hand, or in boxing, you can throw in the towel, or the less familiar version, throw in the sponge. All of these are phrases that just mean to surrender and to yield to one who has a greater power than you. A lot of different ways to say, I surrender. Now, I like stuff like that. The sermon goes downhill from here. That was a joke. See, I'm not very funny. I am not funny at all. Yeah, when it comes to God, okay, we can say those phrases. But when it comes to God, surrender can often be the most difficult thing to do. Now, I want you to stop for a moment because it's your job to take what I'm preaching and to grab hold of it and say, first of all, is it accurate? Is it right? That's why you have your Bibles open. <laughs> Secondly, does it apply to me? Is God speaking to me? So right now, you ought to be asking the question, all right? The pastor's talking about surrender. He just said it's very difficult for most of us to surrender to God, to yield to Him. Now, it's your job. This is what you do when you're sitting under preaching. It's your job to say, okay, God, are you starting to tell me something? Is this sermon for me? Is it difficult for me to surrender to you? Yet the name for God that we're going to look at today conveys the need to do this very thing, surrender. You know, we've learned each name of God is an invitation for us to know Him in a deeper, more intimate, wonderful way. The windows into His nature and His character. I mean, why did God reveal His names? Well, He's inviting you, Christian. He's inviting me to know Him more intimately, with more familiarity, with more confidence, more trust. So he gives his names, he reveals who he is, his nature, his character through these names. And now we can pray to these names of God. We can claim these names for God and our faith ought to grow. 
Well, today we're going to be looking at the name Adonai. And what's it mean? Well, the meaning of the name Adonai is what we're going to look at for the first part of this message. Well, the root of it, now just think about it, Adonai, the root of it, Adon, A-D-O-N, means master and lord. Now, I just told you basically what Adonai means. But Adon could refer to husbands, it could refer to you. Because husbands would carry the title of Adon. If you owned slaves in Israel, you had purchased them and you owned them, then you were their Adon. You were their master, you were their lord. If you were a ruler, if you ruled a city as a, a magistrate or a village or a region or Israel as a king, then you had the title of Adon. But when you take the letters A-I, remember Adon-I, Adonai, A-D-O-N-A-I, when you take the A-I and you apply it to Adon, then it can only refer to God. So Adon can refer to rulers, husbands, slave owners. But when you add the A-I, it can only refer to one being, and that is God. And it's almost always, now this is where if I were you, we're going to be in Exodus 4. If I were you, I would want to remember this because you'll want to underline the word, the name when you see it and put it in your margin. It's almost always translated in English Bibles with the title Lord, all lowercase letters, capital L-O-R-D, lowercase. Now why is that important? Do you remember a few weeks ago I told you that Jehovah, transliterated from Yahweh, is all capital L-O-R-D. So when you see all capital letters to Lord, you're talking about Yahweh. When you see a capital L, then lowercase O-R-D, now we're almost always seeing the name Adonai. You're not going to see in your English Bibles the name Adonai. It's translated L-O-R-D, lowercase. Now that's really important. This is just foundation before we get really moving in this message. Adonai reveals, here's the window, you ready? Nate Finari is always asking me, how do you boil this sermon down? How do you get it down to the sap? That's what we did growing up. We took lots and lots of sap, and how do you boil it down to the syrup? 40 gallons of sap boils down to one gallon of syrup. Well, here's the gallon of syrup. Adonai reveals a God who is the supreme Lord and sovereign master of everything. And you're going to see, as we work through this, that means he's the rightful owner of everything. And because he's the rightful owner, he is the sustainer of all that he owns. We're going to see all of that. He's the rightful owner of all there is. Elohim, remember the name Elohim two weeks ago? Speaks of God's power, God's might. He's the creator God. But Adonai reveals his right to rule us. Listen to this from the Old Testament. You can see it on the screens. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord, L, lowercase, this is Adonai, Adonai holds them in derision. A son honors his father and his and a servant, his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I'm a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord, that's Yahweh, opposed to you. Now, it's getting across Yahweh's right to rule because he owns everything. 
And as a master and as a rightful owner, he guards and cares for all that is his, especially his, his people. Now, did you hear what I just told you? Because now we're starting to get down to where it's less about the background of the word, and now it's in the application. Now, I'm going to say that again. As master and rightful owner, Adonai guards you. He cares for you. And he loves you. He takes care of you. He guards you. He watches over you. He protects you. Adonai protects what is his. But you, the psalmist says, O God, my Adonai, deal on my behalf for your name's sake, because your steadfast love is good. Deliver me, for I am poor and needy, and my heart is stricken within me. Alright, so let me give you one more background piece of Adonai, then we're really going to dig into what's it mean to us. One more thing. The root word, Adon, was associated, as I told you, with masters who owned slaves. Now listen to this, you ready? In Israel, now I know for most of us, you hear the name slave, the word slave, or you think of slavery, and you think of what we know about it. And the horrific stealing of people in Africa, shipping them over to, to America, around the world, exporting them as a product. It is horrible. It's heinous. It's terrible. You can't think like that with Israel. Because slavery for Israel is nothing like that. For Israel, ownership of a slave had much more to do with the responsibility for that slave than the dominion over that slave. So listen, if you own a slave in Israel, it had a lot more to do with now you are responsible for that person rather than now he is under your heel. That's not at all what it was like. The master to the slave relationship was vastly more intimate than he would have with a hired servant or an employee. Now, masters were hired servants. They were day workers, day laborers. But if they purchased a slave, that slave now came into his family. He would now take care of that slave as a member of the family. The slave would have all the privileges that would be in that family. By the way, did you know that a hired servant would not be included in the Passover meal, but a slave had a right to the table? You see, owning a slave in Israel meant the master had to protect and to provide for him or her. A slave, not the hired employee, experiences experience the master's love, affection, and faithfulness. Now that's a don. You ready? Now let's take it to Adonai. And then we're going to get into how this applies to us. When you see the name Adonai, what you're seeing is it's revealing, it's revealing for us that God has the complete rights of ownership. He has a total possession of all things as the Lord and Master, and his loving relationship with all that he owns is his priority. Now I want you to see me. Look at me for a moment. I'm going to boil that back down. Here's that one gallon of syrup. This is what's going to guide us through the rest of this message. You ready? Adonai is a window. For you to be able to see that God is the rightful owner, he is the Lord and master of everything and everyone, and those who will submit to his rule 
He brings in with affection, and he provides, and he cares, and he sustains them. The wonder of this name, Adonai, should powerfully impact you, Christian. And let me give you a few ways, three in fact, that it will. You ready? Here we go. This is the meat. All that was background. You need to know what Adonai meant. You need to understand what the name means. How does it transform us? What's the transforming power of the name Adonai? Let's start out with this. I think you're going to agree, at least most of you. Sin, sin, that, that pulsing motive that lurks in the heart of all of us, sin makes us want to be our own Lord and Master's. And sin has done terrible things to all of us. And one of the most terrible and heinous things that sin has ever done to any of us is to make us resist laying our wills down before God. Listen, if you want to see the worst thing of sin, it's not what you read in the headlines. It's not the atrocities and the wars that you see. Those are all terrible. They are heinous. It's not the stealing that somebody did when they snuck into your garage and broke the window of your, your car and stole your stereo. That's all bad. That is all terrible. It's all difficult to handle. But the worst and most central problem of sin is this. It makes all of us resist laying freely our wills before God. It's submitting. Accepting and loving God's authority over us is not even possible until Christ sets you free by the cross. Listen, you cannot submit your will to God in life if he does not set you free from the power of sin. We've got to have a new heart. It's got to be filled with new desires. They come from being adopted into the family of God and having the Holy Spirit living inside you as a deposit of your inheritance that's come, that, that is to come. Listen, listen, you cannot bend your knee willingly before God unless God sets you free. He's got to set us free from the grip of sin. Or we have no love for his authority over us. You know what God wants from us, Christian? He wants us to obey Him and serve Him. But now listen, because this is where some Christians get it wrong. He doesn't want you to have to do that legalistically, even though you don't want to do it, that you've got to struggle and pummel and beat your will into submission. That's not the plan. That's not the power of the gospel. That is a failure waiting to happen. If you're trying to muster, Christian brother and sister, if you're trying to muster the strength to obey God, trying to lay your sin down and submit your will to Him, and you're just battling and your teeth are just clenched, and you're going to fail. Because that's not what the gospel's doing. Let me tell you what the gospel's doing. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you all the desires of your heart. See, the gospel is changing your heart. The gospel is giving you a want to obey. The gospel is flooding us with a desire to say, I don't want anything more. 
than to serve God. I wouldn't want anything more than to obey God. It's not that we're trying to grab our wills and force them in alignment with God. The gospel saying, let me do it. Take my yoke upon you. Let me take your stubborn wills. Let the gospel work that sin out of your life as you walk with me, as you stay in the spirit, as you get on your knees in prayer. And the gospel is going to come and the gospel is going to put new desires. It's going to put new ambitions, new dreams, new longings, new want-tos in your heart. And all of them are going to be what God wants. Do you see the difference? One of them comes outside of a relation with the Lord where you're going to be your own Lord, Lord and Master. You're going to make it work. That doesn't work. The other one comes within a relationship with God and He floods your heart with a desire to serve Him. And all of a sudden, why would I want to do anything different? Haven't you ever had, Christian brother and sister, a time where all of a sudden you realize, you know what, I don't really want what I used to want. When did that happen? I don't even know when the change came. But all of a sudden, that old sin, that old temptation, it doesn't, it doesn't have any power over me. And I can't even think of a time when it happened. But all I know now is that I want to serve God. And I don't want that. The, the idea of going back to that is sickening to me. I don't even want to be near it anymore. Bless the power of the gospel working inside out. Rather than legalism, which works outside in. And it's a recipe for failure. See, God's got to set us free from the grip of sin. We're not going to love Adonai. We're not going to see Adonai as being our God over us, working into us, trustful, willing submission. So this is the gospel. This is the gospel. God saved us because we could not save ourselves. And he saved us from, the gospel always has a from and a for, he saved us from eternal condemnation, and he saved us for a life of joyful service, and he did it through Jesus, that's the only way the gospel works, through Jesus Christ his Son, and he did it for the fame of his name, for his glory. That's the gospel. And Christian, when the gospel's working in you, and when the gospel's working in me, sin loses its unbreakable grip on us, but it continues to battle in our hearts. And one of the ways that we're going to see this struggle is in how we can learn to submit trustingly and gladly to God. See, worshiping Adonai begins to set us free from a stiff neck toward God. And it begins with understanding number one, Adonai is the Lord of all creation. So some of you are wondering, why do you even bother bringing your Bibles? It just took me a while. Okay, we're getting into it now. Exodus chapter 4. Here's the meat of the sermon. Adonai is the Lord of all creation. Well, you've got Moses, actually in Exodus 3, who comes upon the burning bush, and while he's there, God speaks to him. Elohim, the God of creative power, who has a plan and a purpose, speaks to Moses. And he says in Exodus 3, verse 10, and you got your Bibles open? Make sure I'm saying what I'm saying, and it's right. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now listen to Moses, verse 11. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Now look at me for a moment. 
Moses is soon to be a pastor of the biggest church in the world. Two million Jews. He didn't go to seminary. Went to the school of hard knocks, shepherding sheep. That's all he needed. Sheep and God makes a pastor. <laughs> See, I can be funny. <laughs> Apparently not. So here we got Moses, who's about to be pastoring a church of two million people. And he knows, now listen, he's got a little bit of an understanding of what God is really asking him to do. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? But I want you to see that, verse 11. But Moses said to God, that's a bad translation. Here's what it ought to be. But Moses protested to God. We've already got a struggle of the will. God's telling Moses, here's what I want you to do. Moses is protesting this. God was sending Moses on a mission. And Moses was instead protesting, whether out of humility or fear, whatever it was, he was balking. So God reassures Moses that he would be with him. He even tells him that Pharaoh is going to say no. Moses, Pharaoh's not going to let my people go. Yet in the end, I'm going to have my way. Moses, this is the way it's going to work. You're going to go back there. Pharaoh's not going to let him go. I will have my way. God said, look at verse 19, Exodus 3. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. <laughs> Now what we're about to see, friends, is that it is this might and power and command that will open the eyes of Moses to God's name, Adonai. But before we do, let's pause and reflect on this in our own lives a little bit more. Anything in your life that God is telling you to do and you, not, you have not yet said willingly and submissively, yes, Lord, I will do it. Maybe it is in supporting a missionary financially. Maybe it's to go to counseling with your spouse. Maybe it is to take a job that God's been telling you he wants you to move into, but you're too scared to do it. You don't want to do it. It's going to bring a loss of promotion and income. Or maybe it's to bury the hatchet with somebody that you've been unforgiving with for a long time, maybe even years, maybe even almost a lifetime. Anything God is asking you to do and you're yet saying, Lord, not me. See, repeatedly, go back to the text, repeatedly throughout chapter 3, Moses refers to the one in the burning bush as God, that is Elohim, creator of all. If you go through Verse uh, chapter 3, you're going to see God, God, God. That's how Moses speaks to God. But notice in verse 1 of chapter 4, now go to chapter 4, verse 1. For the very first time, now he refers to God as Lord, all capital letters, Yahweh. See, God had just revealed himself as Yahweh in the burning bush. But Moses has yet to call on God as Adonai. He's never uttered the name Adonai. It's been Elohim, it's been Yahweh. 
but it's not been Adonai yet. It's not been the recognition that God, you are my master, you are my Lord, and I am your willing servant. That's not coming out of Moses' mouth. Who am I to go to Pharaoh? I can't do it. He doesn't know his Adonai. You see, friends, it is possible that you have come to God as the Elohim, your creator, your powerful one, and as your Yahweh, your faithful, sustaining, loving to his promises God, and yet not submitting your will to Adonai. I mean, you might like the power of God, and you might like the covenantal keeping God, you might like the faithful God, but you might not be ready yet to bend your knee, knuckle under, and say, God, you are my Lord and Master. This is the problem that Jesus identifies in Luke chapter 6, verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Did you see that, Lord, Lord? That is the New Testament's version of Adonai. It's kurios in the Greek. Why do you call me Lord and Master and not do what I tell you? This is the problem. We've got Christians who love Yahweh. We've got Christians who love the power of Elohim. But we don't have a lot of Christians that have said, you know what? I don't have a will any longer. It is laid before you, and I am totally and completely and wonderfully yours. That is so rare in the church. And this is what the Apostle Paul was addressing in 1 Corinthians 6. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own. For you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So Christian, here we go. I've got your attention. Is there any area in your life that you have yet to lay down before your master at night? Let me offer some ways to help you examine your heart. Okay? Would you do this for me? Would you take out your phone? Hold it in one hand. Let's do it right now. Let's take out your phone. Hold it in one hand, and I want you to take out either your purse or your wallet and put it in the other. I'm not going to ask you to get anything. <laughs> Got your phone in one hand. I want you to hold your purse or your wallet in the other. See, a lot of us have our calendars synced to our smartphones. So while you're holding that phone out, let me ask you, this is your chance to examine your heart, let the Word of God help you do it. Does Adonai, Lord and Master of all, rightful owner and possessor, does Adonai have your willing submission in how you spend your time? Now think through that. Are you serving God with all your strength? Think through that. Are you serving God with all your strength? And you might say, well, Tim, my time is stretched thin as it is. Did you hear the problem there? It's not your time. You don't own it. Adonai is reminding you that the time you have, it's not yours. It's his. You're living on borrowed time, and that time is redeemed as we use it for Adonai. He, he numbered your days. 
Psalm 92. Meaning that the very day you die was the day that God numbered the end of your life. So that before he even created the world, he knew the exact span of days that you were going to live. You're living a borrowed time. And you redeem that time when you use it for Adonai. And our Lord, our master, our owner and supplier, that's Adonai. He owns it. And he tells us what to do with it. So whatever you do, work heartily, the Bible says, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving Kyrios Christ, the Lord Christ. Let me ask you, are you laboring in the church? How many of you are serving, no, no hands, how many of you are serving in Cornerstone? And not just doing a token ministry that you can do once a quarter, but serving with all your might, using the gifts that God has given to you to build up the body. How many of you are serving like that as unto the Lord? That's when you know Adonai and you lay down your time before him. Well, how about your wallet? Who really owns your money? <clears throat> Listen, you are well on the way to knowing your Adonai when you can contentedly say that you don't own a single thing in life. That you are simply a steward of what God has given. God owns it all. And He gives what He gives for our enjoyment and for His purposes. Are you exceedingly generous, Christian? Now, don't really answer that question to your own standard. Because it's possible if your standard is wrong to come out of it saying, yeah, I'm pretty generous. When in fact you really don't give much at all to people who are in need. Put that standard where Christ lived. Who counted equality with God, nothing to be held on to, but let it go. It became the servant of everybody. Is your wallet or your purse out regularly, even giving beyond your means, like the little old lady who gave the very two last smallest coins in all of Jewish currency, gave the last two of them into the offering box, trusting that her Adonai, her master, would take care of her. You give it to our church and faith? Even perhaps beyond the level that you think you can? You want to hear the truth? The truth is, our giving numbers at Cornerstone reflect the truth that many of us have yet to learn the name Adonai. Think for a moment what percentage of your money you give to your church. Is it 1%, 2%, maybe 5%, perhaps 10%? What would it take for you to make a step of faith and give as God has given to you? And it all belongs to Him. He loves a cheerfully generous giver. So the first point was this. Adonai is the Lord of all creation. He is the Lord, the rightful owner, and the master. The second one is this. Adonai will never ask you to do anything he will not help you to do. Adonai will never ask you to do anything that he won't help you to do. We have a rule in the Ackley family. I've been preaching this into our kids since they were really, really young. 
Here it is. Ackley's don't say can't. We ask for help. I think with all my kids, if you just say Ackley's don't say, they'll finish the rest of it. They've heard it a bunch. Well, Christian, God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the call. Now, I want you to, to think through that. God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the call. So you can't say can't to God. Because he's going to tell you, you never could. You never had the ability to do what I'm telling you to do. You never had the strength. You never had the wisdom. It was never going to be up to you. You got it all though, and I'm supplying your power. Because I'm never going to ask you to do anything that I will not help you to do. Now I want you to remember that principle, and back to Exodus chapter 4, back to Moses. God gives Moses a series of commands. Look at chapter 4, look at verse 3. You got Moses who's doubting. Moses doesn't know his Adonai yet. He doesn't know that God will never ask him to do what he will not help him to do. So he doesn't know it yet. So verse 3, God starts to stroke his faith. Throw your, your staff on the ground, Moses does it. And it turns into a snake. Verse 4, grab the snake by the tail, and Moses does it. The, the staff becomes, and the snake becomes a staff again. Verse 6, put your hand inside your cloak, pull it out, and it's leprous. Verse 7, put your hand back in there, pull it out, and, you, and you're healed. It's like a Simon Says game almost. God told him another miraculous sign that he's going to do if Pharaoh doesn't believe the first two. And, and you might be thinking, along with me, that Moses is ready to be a trusted, yielded servant of Yahweh. But Moses says, verse 10, to Yahweh. All capital letters, ready to look at, look at this. Verse 10. Oh my Adonai, I am not eloquent. Either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Let me translate that. Moses says to Yahweh, oh my Adonai, I can't do it. He affirms that God is the master, the covenantal owner. He affirms that he is the Adonai while he is his servant, yet he doesn't trust that Adonai will enable to do all that he commands and promises. And there is a remarkable pattern of this in the Bible with some of the greatest saints that you're ever going to see. I'll tell you about it with Gideon, and I'll tell you about it with Abraham. Gideon and Abraham both call on the name Adonai. And they too were in a place where God was asking them to do what their faith could not accept. Now listen, God's going to do this with you. Christian, there is no way that you and I are going to go through this life without God asking you to do something that's bigger than your faith. Because that's how your faith grows. If you're going to accomplish anything in life that is going to be building the kingdom of God, it's going to be bigger than what you can do on your own, and you're going to have to stretch your faith. Here's how he does it with Gideon. For Gideon, he says, uh, for Gideon, he said to God after he was commanded to rise up and free Israel from Midian, here's Gideon's words, Please, Adonai, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. God will never ask you to do what he will not promise to help you get it done. 
Yet in for the first time in all of his life in recorded scripture calls God Adonai. And he answers, God does, in the next verse. But I will be with you, Gideon, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. Wobbly faith meets Adonai. Adonai meets wobbly faith. And what's the outcome? Here comes a man of God in the making. Well, here's Abram. Soon to be called Abraham, 25 years after God promises to make a nation come from he and Sarah, they still have no children. Yet God comes and he affirms this promise. In Genesis 15, for the very first time, Adonai ever occurs in the Bible. Abram says to God, Oh, Adonai, Jehovah, what will you give me? For I continue childless. In other words, He's saying, God, you're not fulfilling your promise. You're telling me there's a nation that's going to come from my body. There's nothing coming from my body. There are no children. So God replies to him. And he brought him outside. He brings Abram outside and he said, look toward heaven. Look up at the night sky. I want you to number the stars, Abram. If you're able to number them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Wobbly faith meets Adonai. Adonai meets wobbly faith in a man of God's own making. It's the power of the name Adonai. You call on the name Adonai and God will strengthen your struggling faith. Why? Because he is the owner, the rightful possessor, and the guarantee that he will bless and supply all that he's going to ask his people to do. It's the power of Adonai's name. It's to transform us into men and women of God who know that God will never ever ask you to do anything that he will not enable you to do or bring about. And my God, Philippians says, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now friends, Adonai owns it all. So guess what? You ready? Your washing machine goes out. It's not your washing machine. And you don't understand, I pay for it. I pay for it with my credit card and I pay the bank off. That's my washing machine. No, you don't understand. God gave you the money for that washing machine to pay off your credit. No, I worked it. God gave you the job. No, I got my job. God gave you the skills and the ability. No, I've earned those things. God gave you breath. You don't own anything. He's the rightful owner of it all. So if your washing machine goes out, listen, it's his machine. So call on God and say, Adonai, my, your machine is broken. What are you going to do? That's how you handle life. Your car has another repair bill. It's not your car. It's Adonai's car. And you just need to bring it back to Adonai and say, hey, Adonai, respectfully, your car's broken. And I don't know where I'm going to get the money to repair it. What can you do to help? Your body belongs to him. You go to that doctor and that doctor says you've got cancer. <laughs> and you come to your Adonai. And your Adonai is listening for you because he loves you. And you say to your Adonai, your body has cancer. Whatever you choose to do, I will submit 
do it. It's the power of knowing your enemy. We're stewards of all that he has lent to us. We're borrowing the time that he has given us and we're redeeming it. And how freeing this can be when we come to our Adonai and trustful surrender. Have you ever thought that there's a whole lot less worries in renting than there is in owning? There's nothing you don't rent. It's all given to you by God to steward for his glory. I'm writing this exact part of the sermon when a text comes into my phone. I got permission to tell you what that text says. Here it is, quote, Can you please pray for my husband? He is having his review today at 11 a.m. Please pray for God's favor and his will and for us to accept whatever path he chooses for us. He is faithful to provide no matter what. End quote. That person is learning to know her appetite. Christian, never say can't to God. Instead, call on his name, Adonai. And as we take our final, very, very brief look at the power of the name Adonai, I'm going to give you a warning. And you're going to see it in Moses' life. Here's the third point. Adonai will never ask you to do anything he does not expect you to do. He'll never ask you to do anything he doesn't expect you to do. See, our acknowledgement of God as Lord requires we willingly and obediently serve Him. Now listen, think of the word submission. Sub means to come below or beneath. Mission is the plan or the directive that you've been given. Submission is meaning to come below and get on board the mission that God has for you. See, submission to God means glad, humble, willing obedience to whatever he asks you to do. And you go back now to Exodus chapter 4. Moses had called to Adonai, yet he's struggling with doubts even after the signs that God had shown him. And Moses asked to be excused from this task. His faith was overwhelmed, yet God patiently endured. He assured Moses, I created you weaknesses in all. I'm going to give you power, but look at verse 3, 13. Chapter 4, verse 13. Incredibly, Moses says to God, Oh my Adonai, please send someone else. My friends, I want you to look at me before you read the next part. God is patient with you. He is patient with me. But he will not allow, he will not allow his creation to bulk at his commands for long. Look at verse 14. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. Why? Because he's the perfect master. He's the perfect Lord. What good master would brook kindly a servant's refusal to obey? That would not be a good master at all. That would be a weak master. That would be an irresponsible, enabling master. But God is none of that. And if he works with you and he assures you of his faith and he promises you that he will never ask you to do anything he won't supply the power to do. And he confirms it in act after act and you still say no to God. Child of God, listen, he will kindle his anger against you. We will serve, we will obey, either under the blessing and the favor of God or his displeasure. 
In Christian, the name Adonai shows that God has complete possession of all there is and that his people must learn to gladly give complete trusting submission to him. See, one of the greatest breakthroughs you could ever have in your life is when you come to Adonai and you lay your life down before him. The name has the power to help us willingly, gladly serve God, confidently believe that our master will supply all of our needs and trust that we can do all that God calls us to do. Unimaginable joy awaits servants of Adonai. Now listen, here's my final statement. The servants of Adonai will one day hear him say to them, well done, good and faithful. What? You want to hear those words? You want to hear those words come from the lips of Christ, who is our Lord, our Kyrios, a New Testament name from the Old Testament Adonai? Surrender your life. In Christian, that means us as much as it does a non-believer. Surrender your life, for God will never ever ask you to do anything that he will never, that he will not give you the power to do. And when he asks it, do not refuse it. Why? Because he is the Lord and master, rightful owner, possessor, and good master of everything. Amen? Amen.